0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Flash! Ah! I'm blind!
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow. I am Gepwin and I am joined as always by my good friend Dr. Izix. Hi, and this is it. It's the final episode of the first season of Star Trek: The Original Series. Woo! We made it. And it goes out not with a whimper or a bang, but with a what?
0: It was, I guess, for me overall, a okay episode.
1: Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> it certainly was not as unenjoyable as some. Yes, but it was very like, what is, what are they doing here? What is the point <laughs> of any of this?
0: It's sort of a, a plot where there is some ethical dilemmas going on, but
1: eh, they're only kinda half formed, I guess. <laughs> only a few, and they're all self-inflicted. <laughs> kinda. <laughs> Whoops. They don't know what to do with some plot points. At least they, they don't like they don't drop plot threads so much as mm-hmm. just introduce them and then immediately make them irrelevant. <laughs> it's like, oh okay, that doesn't matter then. <laughs> uh so this is called Operation Annihilate. With an exclamation mark at the end. Yes. It's one of the odder titles. Though I think later on there's other episodes called Operation Blank. Hmm. So I think it might have been like some kind of military um, mission thing they were trying to get into. Yeah, but uh, this, this episode's really come off as a military mission. It seems more of a humanitarian sort of action. I don't know what it would be. I guess the annihilate part. It's very odd. Like, I was reading a lot of stuff about how they rewrote this episode, and you can kind of tell that there's a lot of, like, pieces of the original script in there that Mm -hmm. didn't get changed completely. It was really weird. Speaking of, this was written by Stephen W. Carbados, who Mm -hmm. co-wrote Court Martial because of a bunch of rewrites. Also did the early teleplay rewrite of the City on the Edge of Forever uh, draft that was handed in.
0: So it figures in a, a couple of uh, sort of, I guess, notable episodes.
1: Yeah, those are the two we've seen so far. Later, Stites working more with DC Fontana in the next couple seasons, so this guy's going to pop up a few times. But uh, I think this is like the last time that
0: they're uh, sort of a lead person here.
1: We only have two guest stars this episode, both of whom spend the majority of it unconscious.
0: Now, now I will
1: you know, say that there is technically a third guest star, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> we have... Uh, we have Joan Swift as Elorian Kirk, who is uh, Captain Kirk's sister-in-law. Yes, uh, she spends most of the time unconscious, but she does wake up for one part. Yeah, she's she's in like 10 minutes of episode before she is unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Craig Hundley, who plays Kirk's nephew, Peter Kirk, who is unconscious in the entire episode. Pretty much. <laughs>
0: Uh, he's the s- sick and weak, defenseless boy here that they're trying to save. Among everything else, I, I will say that uh, yeah, this uh, Mister Huxley here uh, is better known not for his acting but his music work and like also being producer for some doc- documentaries.
1: Yes, I, uh, I had here in the notes that he led a jazz band at the age of fourteen. Wowzers! And is an Emmy-winning television producer now. He's a cool cat, and he knows how to produce. Went on to arguably a lot better than, than a lot of people who were involved in this series, if you look at it. The child actors on this show seem to do okay.
0: Yeah, you know, they, they managed to escape Star, uh, you know, the original series here and uh, go off and do uh, whatever they like, really. It's sort of, a sort of, I guess, a taste of what's
1: possible. Well, I forget the name of the episode. Um, Craig does show up again as another child in, I think, season three. Yeah, the, the children will lead us or something like that? Yes, that one. I don't remember that one, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> they just said there was a secret guest star?
0: Yes, because you see, there's also Sam Kirk, Captain Kirk's brother, which is played by the you know, the, the surprise guest star, William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> is he? They just put a mustache on him.
1: <laughs> I need to rewatch that scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just real quick. and you know, They only do like a few seconds of close-up so you can it's like oh yeah it looks like kirk but he has a mustache okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah he's dead for the entire episode yeah (laughs) spoiler warning the other kind of interesting thing i thought for this is they they have a lot of very futuristic outdoor scenes in this episode Mm -hmm. and it was all filmed at the trw space and defense park in california so this is just office architecture yeah i was like like, this kind of like
0: reminds me of some like uh college campuses i've been to and uh i guess maybe like technically a military base too (laughs) basically
1: yeah so this is just an aerospace engineering company it actually built pioneer one which was the first spacecraft that nasa ever launched
0: it was very pioneering
1: then later pioneer 10 which i suppose was uh nine pioneers later yes and 10 times is is awesome i think right probably All right, I'm running out of things already, so I suppose we should at least jump into the synopsis. Let's let's get into it. (laughs) There's not a lot of meat in this episode. It's going to be interesting. The Enterprise is trying to establish communication with the colony on Deneva. Kirk is very intent on reaching one person in particular, but there has been no response from the colony. Hmm. Seems like a bad time. Spock tells us that Deneva is the next in a line of planets that have all been destroyed by mass insanity. Okie dokie then. How does that work then? I don't know. I don't even know what they mean by mass insanity. They just say it like it's supposed to make some sort of sense.
0: Uh, I guess it's sort of a we don't actually know what happens but everyone acts strangely for a while and then they all die. So They're obviously going insane, right?
1: (laughs) So apparently this all started with a ancient long dead civilization that archaeologists discovered on another planet then Mm. about 200 years ago it struck the first earth colony and then has been spreading planet to planet since then until the most recent colony fell about two years ago so
0: this seems like it's maybe a fairly urgent thing to be kind of watching out
1: for now though it's apparently been very slow progression to get this far in thousands of years sulu suddenly interrupts this monologuing exposition to say that there's a denovan spaceship flying straight for their sun oh
0: they're gonna go uh get some uh tan right
1: the enterprise gives chase but they cannot catch the ship in time but right before the ship destroys itself in the sun the pilot yells it's free i'm finally free well i I guess he uh got out of the gravitational
0: well of his home planet but uh, he's now in the suns and they're um... also
1: doing that thing again which like if we're gonna be if we're going to be nerdy sci-fi critique people, <laughs> they, they they keep flying straight at a sun. Yeah. It's like, that's not how, <laughs> like, obviously, I suppose it might be something to do with the way that the, the, the new, like, you know, whatever space bending technology they're using works, but obviously none of these ships actually have to maintain orbits around anything.
0: You yeah, they could just sort of hang out in space and gravity be damned, apparently.
1: Yeah, basically, they just fly straight at the sun, <laughs> instead of being in orbit with planets or like decelerating or any of the I don't know. Obviously, they don't they don't have to deal with gravity. Yeah, it c- comes back to that space is ocean sort of notion uh,
0: where you you sort of go into uh, you, know, you know a planet is like a port, so you can just sort of dock
1: next to it, I guess. <laughs> I think that's just exactly what they're going for. Yes. <laughs> Uhura reports that they're still having no luck communicating with the planet and McCoy kind of sidles up behind Kirk and says, hey, wasn't your brother stationed here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> then they cut to credits.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Well, there's also a little bit of a like Kirk asking for like a, a private transmission line or something like that, too.
1: But that's just so, it's just so awkward. Just like, hey, wasn't this your brother's planet? Dun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, he might be dead now. I'll- Man. After the credits, Ahura has finally made contact with the private number Kirk was requesting. A woman just yells for help and says that they know, and then the message cuts off. Cool. <laughs> informative. Kirk yells at Ahura for a bit, and she very calmly explains that it's not her fault the signal just got cut off. Calm down, dude.
0: Yeah, Kirk, stop being a jerk face.
1: Ahura's the only one who ever gets yelled at like this on this yeah, show. It's so weird.
0: It's just... He's just so cruel to her, and it's, it's pretty much always Kirk going after her.
1: Yeah. Like, what do you, what's your problem, and it's, man? It's always just like, oh, the signal got cut off. How dare you get it back? What part of the signal got cut off? Did you not understand? <laughs> it's Calm down. I'm doing here. It's them. All right, Kirk, Spock, and a new yeoman, a couple of random people, and Scotty beam down to a really kind of neat future-looking place.
0: Yeah, I, I like this architecture.
1: Yeah, it's just filled with all these weird pointy sculptures and sculpture gardens and a fountain. It's like very, very modernist office park, which just like... I was looking at this like, this looks like a sci-fi set, but there is no way they could afford to build this. Yes. (laughs) This must be something that actually exists. So sweet. The 60s were really weird. Yes. Future of the 60s. Today! (laughs) Architecturally interesting, but so weird. Yes. (laughs) There is no one outside, which is apparently very strange because this is a capital city where there should be thousands of people. So I guess they may be already dead. Oh, no. Yeah, except a group of men holding clear plastic bars for some reason run up yelling at the crew to get away and that they don't want to hurt them. But before they can do anything, they run up and attack. But they are very quickly stunned because they have big pipes and the crew is carrying guns.
0: Yes, uh... I think you're a little outmatched here, guys. Maybe you're, you know, whatever is causing you to try to hurt people. Maybe they should have, you know, you know, summoned up the the foreknowledge to have guns as well. Perhaps. Yes.
1: McCoy scans them and says that their nervous systems are weirdly stimulated for people who are unconscious. It's like they're, uh, you know, going for a jog, and uh, but they're unconscious at the same
0: time when they're they're having violent, you know, impulses and things like that. So it's like they have sleep apnea,
1: apnea. But before they can do anything else, they hear a woman scream and they have to go run off. Oh no. Time for the damsel in distress. Well, conveniently for them, this is Kirk's sister-in-law, who they were looking for. They enter a laboratory where she is trying to cover an air vent and she keeps yelling, they're here, they're here, they're here, until Kirk grabs her and has McCoy issue her a sedative.
0: Well, I guess we're not going to figure out what she's saying, but, you know, we're yelling about there. But, okay. This is
1: by my count the third time that they've had a woman randomly screaming about something, and they went, just knock her out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like, guys, you're
0: what? You just don't like screaming, I guess, and, and that's yeah. more important than your you're, own safety. You're
1: never going to be able to calm down a screaming woman, so just administer a sedative.
0: This will get to something I, I, I,
1: I thought about later, but okay. I do <laughs> He identifies the woman as his sister-in-law, and they find the dead body of his brother and his unconscious nephew. And then Kirk looks at other Kirk and goes, oh no. Kirk and McCoy beam back up to the ship with the family in order to take care of them medically. In sickbay, they interrogate his sister-in-law. She says that a visitor brought horrible things to the planet on their ship, but it's not their fault. They made them do it. Wait, someone's being pressured into some sort of monster transport? Yes. McCoy notes that every time she tries to answer a question, it causes her great pain. This sounds very familiar. Yes.
0: Some sort of, I don't know, you know, something of your mind's eye or something, I don't know.
1: Yeah, some sort of mind dagger. Yes. (laughs) She tells them that the things use pain to control them, and they're trying to force them to build ships, and then she just dies. I guess the pain was too much for her. Or something, I guess. Is that how it works? I guess. Kirk asks about his brother's son. He never once says the word nephew in this entire episode. Well, maybe Kirk doesn't know the word. Yeah. Like Other people know the, do.
0: Like, he doesn't know the word, like, you know, surrender or... You know, stop being so handsome or be nice to her.
1: (laughs) Nephew, I don't know the meaning of the word. Where's my brother's son? (laughs) McCoy tells him that he'll do his best, but they have no clue what is wrong with the kid. Kirk beams back down and does his best hero pose on some stairs. That's dramatic. This is just something that made me think of, like, I'd try to beam down on a flat surface personally. Yes. (laughs) Going on the stairways, maybe not so much of a smart idea there, honestly. Mm Mm-hmm. Just just makes me imagine some sort of, like, video game reverse kinesthetics thing. Like, they try to beam you down on some stairs, and one of your legs just all of a sudden, like, shoots up and wiggles around.
0: Yes. <laughs> and then you're projected, you know, way up into the sky, and then you're suddenly, you know... Find yourself in a running post somehow.
1: and <laughs> Transport fails. <laughs> yep. He asks if the landing party has seen anything, but they say no, but we were just about to investigate a weird noise convenient you're here. Well, that's useful. Let's go check this out. The landing party enters a lobby-looking building where mm-hmm. there are a few amoeba jellyfish fake vomit-looking things. I thought they looked like a mix of like scabs and pierogies. I don't know if people understand will have, will have seen these things, but they look a lot like these weird um, tree parasites called scale insects never heard of those just really really big versions I had like something infested with those a few uh, a few months ago and they're really kind of gross looking and they look like weird little tree scabs hmm. so maybe they base them off of an actual thing I don't know but they 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 look kind of like fake vomit yes. <laughs> Kirk orders them to shoot one, and it falls down, but is probably not dead. Yeah, they really phaser it for a while. It's like, oh, just not dying. It should be disintegrating, but it's just kind of falling. Okay. The Yeoman says that it doesn't look real, and we're really on the same page with that one. (laughs) Yes, lady, you are quite correct here. (laughs) Sock says it doesn't even register on his tricorder. Kirk orders them to leave because it might be a trap, and just as they get to the door, the flying amoeba thingy attaches spock's back they grab it off of him and then return to the ship
0: oh no spock's been uh, uh, bitten um busted uh you know in your i'm not sure here
1: yeah landed on yes touched slightly (laughs) we cut to mccoy doing surgery on spock he seems to not be able to think he can help much and he orders to like end the surgery even though nurse chapel who's standing there is objecting
0: and this kind of begs the question though so Spock gets this thing that just sort of like pokes his back real quick, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, he's got like a like a puncture wound or something like that." So let's just like cut open his back and have a look. Yeah, let's slice him open. I, I guess yeah, it's very sort of 60s sort of medicine was like, well, we don't know what's going on. We need to actually have a, a look,
1: but look at the future, man. We should have scanners, right? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that later. I think it might be in one of the movies or something. McCoy goes on this big rant about cutting into people with knives and how barbaric it is. So the voyage home. But I guess
0: they could sort of like get away with it here because they couldn't like even uh, detect the the weird creatures with their uh, tricorders when they're like out in the open, too. So, yeah, it is kind of awkward.
1: Yeah, you just got to cut into people. Yeah, sometimes
0: (laughs) it's like, well, our science doesn't work today. I guess we have to go back to those, you know, scalpels or something. Yeah. (laughs)
1: back on the bridge mccoy shows up with a jar of tenatral things cool is that your your, your friend yep. a little jar <laughs> of friends <laughs> i want to make an objectivist joke but i don't know how much crossover we have with that show don't worry i'll get it okay <laughs> it says these little tentacle things were wrapped around spock's nervous system as well as kirk's nephew the creatures that attacked them seem to sting them and then quickly spread these little tentacle things through their body, and there's no way to remove them because they're just all over their nerves.
0: So it's some sort of like nerve system replacement or just like a like a parasite like the you know, Stargate Skyold. Oh it's a sort of just like a big fungus sort of thing. It's kinda of weird.
1: Yeah, they seem to imply that it's just in there causing them pain. Mm-hmm. Like it's not; it doesn't have any direct control over anything. It just causes them pain and then tells them what to do.
0: Sort of, you know. It, it, but the question is: Is it compulsion like you? It's like, oh, I now want to build a spaceship. Well, I, no, I don't want to. No, I'm going to have pain now, but I have this compulsion still. Or is it just going to give you pain until you figure out what it wants on on your own?
1: I don't know. It seems like it's it the way that they seem to to show it here, because Spock like gets up out of the sick bay bed. Yells, no I won't And then runs off So it sounds like They're telling you what to do And they're going to cause you pain if you don't mm-hmm.
0: And in fact, it seems to be Completely hijacking the body Which, I, you know, which, you know, which kind of works this particular bit here With uh, Spock screaming that As well as the guys on the planet That were all like, we're gonna like
1: be hurting you So get away On the bridge, Kirk orders security to find Spock But then Spock just runs in He tries to take control of the ship
0: yeah, I, I will say that it's kind of ridiculously uh, you know, quick how Spock just is now on the bridge when he was like 10 seconds ago, or even like 5 seconds ago, in the, in sickbay.
1: They don't even have time to finish the orders. just like, fine, Spock! Oh, he's here. <laughs> they restrain him and strap him down in sickbay this time. I didn't know they even had these straps. These would have been useful for a few episodes. Yep. <laughs> Spock apologizes for trying to take over the ship. Because he didn't understand that the creature was controlling him with pain. But, of course, pain is just something in your mind and he can control it. Because pain is apparently an emotion. Yes. Or something. Hmm. They all accept this, except that his human half wouldn't be able to. So, apparently, Vulcans can just turn off pain whenever they want. But his human half is going to give him trouble. So, I guess he has to be fully focused constantly now? They leave him alone again, even Though he's restrained. They keep leaving random, sort of dangerous patients alone in these rooms. Yep. (laughs) Just, like, put a guard in there. Come on, guys. Spock starts chanting, I am a Vulcan, there is no pain, and then he breaks his restraints and calmly walks away to the transporter room.
0: Well, I guess his restraints weren't as
1: good as we thought. Hmm. No, they don't stand up to Vulcans. (laughs) Vulcans are just too strong, man. Spock says that he has to return to the planet, but Scotty, who's watching the transporter, says that he's under orders to not let anyone beam down. So Spock tries to knock him out, but Scotty is the only person on this ship who has ever remembered that he has a gun.
0: Yes. So he pulls it and points it at Spock and's like, yeah, where are you going, buddy? I don't think so.
1: (laughs) Yes. Scotty holds Spock at phaser point until Kirk can get there. Every other security guard, the only purpose that anyone else in this ship has ever had for carrying a firearm is so that it can be stolen from them later
0: (laughs) or or alternatively they so they can use it but be ineffective but that's sort of you know you know a different sort of scotty is the
1: (laughs) true hero of the enterprise yes (laughs) the most competent man on the ship (laughs) he has a basic level of competency when it comes to doing his job and it makes him better than every single other person on the ship. You know, uh, uh,
0: I guess maybe like you know, Nurse Chapel might be in the in the running, but we don't see enough of her. so We don't
1: actually. Yeah, do it's unfortunate. She seems to be good at her job too, but you know, McCoy yes. keeps shutting her down.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> like, hey, doctor, maybe we shouldn't do a dangerous thing. Ah, I'm a doctor, not a safety inspector.
0: You know, follow my orders, or
1: get me a, a nurse that we don't have that will replace you. <laughs> <laughs> when Kirk finally arrives, Spock informs him that he has discontinued the pain and is therefore the only person who can go down to the planet and bring back one of the aliens for them to study.
0: What well, has a weird sort of logic to it? Assuming you're telling us the truth, evil Spock man.
1: Yep, Kirk just agrees.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> On the planet, uh, Spock is briefly and somewhat uselessly assaulted by some dude who carrying some kind of weird round-headed axe looking weapon yeah and then it's
0: kind of funny but you know it was one of those moments where they had this moment because there was obviously a commercial break
1: yes <laughs> yeah the guy I just mean, stands there and then it cuts it's like cut
0: and then come back and then the swing and neck pinch and done <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is a very, this is a weirdly long scene with no dialogue where he just, like, goes in, phasers the thing, grabs it with some tongs, puts it in a box, and leaves. You
0: know, good enough to uh, sort of show that there's this stuff going on happening, but does kind of draw out the action
1: quite a bit. Yeah, it drags a little bit for, (laughs) I don't know, something more or less unnecessary in any way. Back on the ship, Spock has the alien in a science box. Science box? For all your science needs... He has apparently found that this is a single celled organism. Very, very large single celled organism.
0: Yes. That is, Even in fact,
1: a brain cell. It doesn't look like a neuron. No. It is somehow connected to all of the other brain cell aliens. So they're actually Wait, a giant it? brain. Hmm.
0: I am a giant brain. <laughs> I guess that Futurama episode now makes more sense. Yes, it does. <laughs>
1: That was mentioned as a direct reference to this episode. <laughs> also, they may have come from another galaxy where our physics don't apply. Um, that doesn't work that way. The thing with physics
0: is that the rules of physics are applicable no matter where you are in the universe.
1: Period. <laughs> so, my thing is even if you were in a different part of space where physics was a little wonky. Wouldn't you just like explode or something the minute you got to our physics?
0: You know, if you're there, was, yeah, if the rules were changing from one location to another, the processes that you're relying upon in order to continue your internal processes would be altered in such a fashion that they might not function at all. And so you would probably just die.
1: And this is another one of these things where it's just like, oh, yeah, these things probably came from another galaxy. What's your evidence of this? Eh. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they do that a lot in this show. It's like,
0: well, we, got, we ran into something weird. It must be from beyond all sense and reason. And it's our only explanation. We're not going to think about it, about it too hard.
1: But the practical upshot of this is they're just going to be really hard to kill. Yes. <laughs> but as Kirk points out, that man who flew into the sun said he was free. So killing them must be possible. Because obviously that guy is a reliable narrator for action here. The guy who flew into the sun knew what he was doing. <laughs> Sometime later, McCoy is trying to kill the alien in every single way he can think of. Extreme heat, extreme radiation, and things that he says would turn Spock to ash.
0: Well, I guess McCoy's cool with that then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably. Kirk's really mad because, you know, it's not just turning Spock to ash. If they can't figure out how to kill these things, he's going to have to kill every single person on that planet to keep them from spreading.
0: This seems like a bit of a moral quandary then. Mm.
1: They have kind of a brief exchange in the briefing room, where Spock suggests a utilitarian approach where, like, killing an entire planet is worth it to save an entire galaxy. Well, thanks
0: for this mass murder motivational speech, Spock, but can we have other options, please?
1: They just do a thing, like, McCoy goes, oh, so killing one person to save five is just logical then, and then they just get mad and leave. Yeah. And Kirk's just like, I want more options! yeah no. he gets mad it's like, well, i want that third option and he very lightly taps the table yes with his fist Stop being
0: boobs guys come on
1: <laughs> like there's i think this table must be made of styrofoam or something because he's about to slam it. it's like ah and then he very slightly taps it with his hand uh, yes oh <laughs> uh, now we're in kirk's quarters having exactly the same conversation for some reason yeah, to let the audience know that they really, really mean it when they have these positions. They've have tried everything that they could possibly throw at the alien. And then Kirk has a light bulb moment by staring at a light bulb. Hmm. He has a bright idea. He realizes that the sun makes light. Yes. So they make a light room in the biolab. Mm-hmm. It's a little room with a like dentist chair in
0: it and like a shelf. And like a giant vault door that you, you know, are gonna have some trouble opening if you're not if you're in a hurry. But you know.
1: Apparently, this light is bright enough that it's going to shine through the door because they have to put on safety goggles from the outside. And they say later that it is bright enough that it's actually going to go through solid objects on the planet. So in in short,
0: that you're doing something so bright on the Enterprise that this light can go through solid objects On the planet, but doesn't that imply it also can go through solid objects on the Enterprise, including, like, the floors and ceiling, and so uh, everyone in the nearby decks is also going to be affected by this?
1: Yeah, if they have to put on safety goggles outside of this room, doesn't everyone on the ship have to put on safety goggles?
0: (laughs) They should. They don't.
1: (laughs) So, the light works to kill the alien, but Spock says that the next logical thing they need to do is to test an infected person to see if it can clear away the infection. McCoy doesn't want to move to human testing until they've, you know, done a little bit of preliminary results, like even wait five yeah. minutes. <laughs> but Kirk and Spock say they don't have any choice for some reason. They have not established like a ticking clock on this episode. Yeah, just, they just sort of artificially imply one. So we have to do this now. Yes, like, they put Spock in the Lightroom. Even without eye protection, because they say the people on the planet won't have any eye protection. Yes. Which was weird, because, like, I guess they're saying they want to know what it will do to people, but they're implying they know it will do bad things if they don't have eye protection. But, like, if if he has eye protection and it works, wouldn't it still work on the people who don't have eye protection? Yes. Yes, it would. (laughs) He goes into the light room. They shine the big blindy light on him. It works. He's now free of the alien control. He walks out of the room and walks straight into a table.
0: Uh Uh-oh, apparently he's blinded by that giant bright light you just shone in his face. Who would have thought?
1: (laughs) McCoy, maybe you you should have, like, resigned instead of letting this happen. Just then, as soon as he sits down, Nurse Chapel runs in with data that says they don't need to use the full spectrum of light. Whoops. They only need to use non-visible light that would not have blinded Spock. Oh, we just need an ultraviolet blast. Ah. Yeah, hmm. it will give you cancer, well, but... Well, yeah, this is the future. It yeah. would also <laughs> still blind you, but I guess we're going to ignore that.
0: Yeah, maybe it's just like a super high frequency that doesn't get a, uh, you know directly damage the optic nerve, but still give you cancer then, maybe?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I suppose future cancer is better than pain mind control aliens.
0: <laughs> this is the future.
1: We can cure cancer with, ha- with a snap of the, the fingers, right? Let's see... They would have had to wait literally five minutes for this result. Yes. They didn't even want to move forward with a basic, like, let's scan the thing to make sure it doesn't just look dead.
0: Yes, you know, this thing could come back to life. It could just be, you know, hurt and uh, you know temporarily knocked out and it's going to regenerate or something. But nope, we're just going to shove Spock in the light box and uh, just do the thing and ignore any sort of scientific, you know... Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, attempts at understanding this thing
1: here. They decide to just deploy light emitting satellites, apparently, around the planet. They shine really bright UV light on everyone, and we see all of the little amoeba things evaporate. Yes, they like
0: yeah, you know, it's like they actually like melt and like sub- sublimate and become little smokes and things
1: yeah, like that. Yeah. Honestly, like I really loved that the way that they did that scene. It was very good special mm-hmm. effects. So you can you can just barely see the cut because they have a slight amount of camera movement But mm-hmm. they put up they start issuing smoke from underneath the little prop thing and then just as the smoke gets thick enough They cut to the smoke subsiding and the thing is gone.
0: Yes. So I'll, you know mad props to them really so awesome the practical
1: department. effect they tell McCoy that it worked and all the aliens are dead, but McCoy is, like, super depressed about how he blinded Spock, even though he is literally the only person who wanted to wait and see if they could not blind Spock.
0: <laughs> but, you know, you know, technically McCoy could have put his foot down and say, no, this is actually an idiotic idea, but he acquiesced to, you know, Kirk and Spock sort of, you know, pushing him to, you know, swoop into action, but... As a doctor, he really kind of dropped the ball there by actually giving up like that. Yeah, a
1: bit. Though they keep having this scene where McCoy is not responding and Kirk keeps going, no, it's not your fault. It's like, yes, it's not his fault. It's your (laughs) fault, Kirk. It's all your (laughs) fault. But we're on the bridge later. Kirk is dictating a log to the new yeoman when she suddenly looks up and goes, hey, look, it's Spock.
0: Oh, sweet. Uh, He's here to, uh... oh, he can see apparently.
1: Spock walks in says, oh, yeah, I've got a second set of eyelids that protect my eyes because the sun on Vulcan is actually brighter than the sun on Earth, so I'm fine. It's all cool, man. It's all good. Yeah, I didn't mention it before because, you know, it's kind of like you mentioning your appendix. I just just didn't think about it. What more, McCoy didn't think about it because
0: he didn't know, I guess?
1: (laughs) Nobody knows Vulcan physiology, I guess.
0: Which I guess maybe McCoy not knowing Vulcan physiology is kind of his fault because that means he's not really qualified to like do anything medical with Spock now.:
1: Yeah, that it, it <laughs> makes you really wonder about the licensing boards for medicine yeah. in the future.
0: <laughs> you know what would have saved the whole the, the, the whole bit with you know Spock losing his eyesight there if Scotty had been there.
1: Yes, Scotty would have gone like, wait a <laughs> minute, I have some basic job proficiency.
0: How about we wait a few minutes until we get some results back first before this guy's?
1: And everyone trusts Scotty. He's like, oh no, the the light thing he takes a minute to recharge, and they're like, oh yeah, Scotty knows who he's talking about.
0: <laughs> I'm just saving everybody from their own you know incompetence here. I have to lie to them constantly, you know etc (laughs) etc
1: this is completely off topic I just randomly saw a meme the other day that just had a picture of Scotty it just said I'm the only guy in a red shirt who doesn't die yeah yeah (laughs) McCoy is pleased that Spock isn't actually blind and he tells Kirk that he is the best first officer in the fleet Spock turns around and says oh thank you and Kirk jokes that he was so busy thinking about his Vulcan eyes he didn't think about his Vulcan ears. (laughs) <laughs> I guess. I can joke and we have like freeze framey laughter even though my brother and sister-in-law are dead and no yeah. one even knows what happened to this nephew. We're never going to mention him again. Yeah, I guess he gets beamed down again and left to fend for himself, maybe? Maybe. He's just gone. The yeah. fact that he ever had a brother is never mentioned again ever. Uh, alternatively, uh, they, they forget to be him
0: down and the kid, uh, you know, gets lost in the ship and he wanders around for years on end and eventually pretends to be a crew member and then, uh, you know, gets himself registered at some point.
1: Sounds about right. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about this till like right at the end, but like the McCoy thing on this show just shows you how human centric they accept everything to be. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't know anything about non-human biology
0: yeah i guess the only reason he hasn't killed spock by this point is because spock is half human so it's like well this doesn't look quite right but i guess this is supposed to be this and uh, this is that and um yeah
1: (laughs) yeah they don't they do not accept the fact that anyone in the ship would be anything other than human like Which, Spock is guess, the Spock is the only non-human on this entire ship.
0: Uh, so uh, I guess this is maybe a, an opportunity to sort of think back that what we've figured out about uh the you know the, uh, Vulcans and their world and all that. Uh we've already established that they were concrete at some point. Yes. Um they have a bright sun. Uh, what else do we got?
1: <laughs> they logic for some reason. They, we haven't established why yet.
0: All right, uh, They have merchants, because uh, Spock is pretending to be one at some point. Yeah, and
1: they said it's very common. Yes, so, they're, so they're apparently our are, uh, are, are
0: future capitalists or logical. Um, hmm, what else do we got?
1: Well, I think overall, I mean, that's it for like the Vulcans, but yeah. <laughs> I think overall, it's kind of an interesting thing. This is the last episode of the first season, and mm-hmm. where we are at is so different from how we would think of Star Trek today. Yes. The multiculturalism that people associate with Star Trek Mm -hmm. in later series, it's very much heavily implied to be like we have accepted non-humans and that has shown just how far we've come in our acceptance. Like, of course, of course, human on human racism isn't going to exist anymore in this future because we have accepted full on non-human life forms and non-humanoid life forms.
0: Yeah, we've gone beyond sort of these you know petty differences and even you know bigger differences between us and other people's, so yeah we're all cool now,
1: yeah, this one is aliens seem to be this massive rarity, yes, ninety percent mm-hmm. of the people that they have interacted with on other planets are in earth colony yes, the only times aliens bit. have really shown up in any kind of significant way have been something like the the Romulans and the Klingons who are both like. Opposed empires.
0: Yes, they're, uh, you know, sort of on our same level and they're evil for various reasons and, you know, are all, all warlike and want to fight.
1: Yeah, which is, it's it's this cultural thing that you get into with the 60s versus kind of the 80s and 90s when you had Next Generation. Because mm-hmm. you are operating from a place where the world is like on the verge of war in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So... Anyone like can't we all get along in our own country? Let's just pretend. Yeah, let's just pretend everyone in the United States is getting along, basically, because that's what everyone was doing in the '60s.
0: Yeah, everything's great, man. It's it's good to uh, ignore those those riots over there and the the beatings and the uh, the mass incarceration and all that. Everything's cool, man.
1: But everyone who is not you is a dangerous enemy empire. Not only like, dangerous by the fact of existence, but outright bent on your destruction, and only your innate superiority is keeping you alive. Hmm.
0: You know, so get your uh, strong-jawed uh, you know, action hero uh, you know, out on the front lines and uh, save the day against those evil empires that are, you know, you know, always going to be lurking in the darkness of space or across the world or
1: whatever you know the only there's only like three times so far we have encountered something that is as powerful as kirk it's <laughs> never they're never more powerful than kirk they're always as powerful as kirk
0: so we got to uh, of course khan yeah which is
1: basically who he doing, just respects but, you
0: know. so much <laughs> it's like oh i just want to hug you and like and, and take you home with me and to have you meet the parents
1: it's it's all great man we have khan we have the one like child alien the squire of gothos it was just like like he could have killed you anytime he felt like it but he's a little, he's a little kid
0: haha ha. so you can sort of like you know tease him into uh doing exactly what you want and kirk's like well i'm just gonna do that then and so i'm basically you know you know similar power levels in the end.
1: And then we just have the two sets of all-powerful energy-being alien who, like, controlled him and the Gorn and the ones who, like, ended the thing with the Klingons who may as well just be (laughs) the same alien. They're basically kind of doing the same thing, honestly. And both of them are just, like, stop fighting in my yard. (laughs) Yes,
0: Get out of here, you noisy kids! I guess uh, we also run into the Gorn, but they weren't necessarily as powerful. They were more... Kind of more annoying, yeah, for for for, for Kirk and the crew. <laughs> well, they, they murdered some people. that killed some of our dudes. Uh, let's go beat them up.
1: Also, again, we—I've asked people. I like—I was—I was on a trip recently with uh, with some people who were like my, you know, both my parents and a few people they know who are around their same age who like went through the '60s, and I was just asking like, what what is the deal with madness? Yep, and none of them knew. None of them are like, "Oh yeah, there was definitely this huge societal fear that you might become mad at any time." It just—it just apparently was this weird thing that they keep using. I—I I guess it's just lazy writing. Like we don't need to explain why anything's happening if we say they go mad.
0: Yeah, it's a you know, shorthand for you know there is uncertainty in their actions and we do not understand them, and that makes them dangerous. And we need to do things to either. Prevent them from being mad anymore or destroy them all totally.
1: Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's weird to me. You get, you get a lot of this, like some external thing is going to make you mad. This is like a, this whole thing is you. like a madness plague. It's creeping across the stars. Inevitable. It's something to be feared and we can't understand
0: it. So uh, panic, fear, you know, uh, anxiety, all that fun stuff coming
1: together and you just, you
0: it's go you know, it's, it's to drive stakes in a very cheap fashion yeah obviously. and
1: even with the madness the madness just adds a little bit to this i i think i'm bringing some other stuff into this episode because i do not i don't think this this subtext was actually presented in the episode itself but i had a mm-hmm. lot of trouble separating the content of this episode from a lot of other racist themes that have used kind of a similar setup mm-hmm. Because this this was really reminding me of the uh, fish people stories in Lovecraft.
0: Oh, yeah, the, uh, the the oh, I'm the the day stuff,
1: right? Yeah, like you you show up in this town and everyone is off and they're acting weird, and you know you later discover they're actually horrible fish monsters. That was Lovecraft's version of mixed race people.
0: Um. Oh dear.
1: Yeah. So it just started I was getting these weird kind of undercurrents of this theme like you know the the travelers from another planet brought this infection so you know be be wary of the outsiders bringing mm-hmm. things into your little ideal world and then it just started you know spreading this mind control stuff like the plague. I mean I suppose it's a little communisty As I say, it's a it's a a little uh, invasion of the body snatchers in a way. Yeah, it's very an invasion of the body snatchers sort of thing. I'm kind of reminded some of those versions. uh, Some of those adaptations
0: are very heavily on that you know you know you know know, anti communist uh, fear of you know they just look like you, but they are under control of this evil you know alien menace. Oh no!
1: Yeah, and this one was so directly under control. Like you are being like forcibly manipulated into spreading this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the way it spreads too, apparent I'm forgetting the thing. I was reading this this thing about the sixties ages ago where they like were running these think piece articles about like who's controlling your child's mind? Teachers with communist sympathies. Wait, we still get those actually. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so I guess it's just kind of this this weird spread. Like you we've got we've had quite a few of these episodes of like this this evil thing is going to spread through the population and turn them into evil zombie people
0: now as fun as that might sound uh you know it is something that they're they're trying to avoid but still it's sort as far as a plot device goes it's sort of kind of done
1: to death by this point it's done to death and it's just kind of it's it's difficult to separate out from this like from everything isolationist (laughs) racism that everything was using even the kind of madness stuff because they used they used this kind of like uncontrollable madness idea to demonize a lot of drugs when they were trying to, mm-hmm. you know, keep Latinos from coming into the country, and they were saying they were all smoking pot and spreading reefer madness. Oh no, the, you know yeah. the
0: reefers, they are they gonna go, you know, get your children, and they're, they're going to bring them into the den of immorality.
1: Oh no! So it's just really hard to separate. And I guess especially with this, like, hive mind idea, which they used as a communist allegory in the Archons episode, Mm -hmm. like, anytime they have a hive mind or people who are too happy, I guess this is the kind of the opposite of the Archons and this side of paradise, because this one they're being controlled with coercive pain instead of with being kind of contented.
0: Yes. You're not your carrot, it's your stick time.
1: Yeah, which which started making me think... uh this was a rabbit hole I didn't want to go down. I didn't Uh-oh. I didn't know this was this was such a horror this was being so horribly perverted in modern society. The the pain thing made me think of this um behaviorist idea called learned helplessness oh, yeah. where they submitted a dog to kind of to random electric shocks and I believe in the for the longest time they like had the entire floor kind of electrocuted so the dog couldn't get out of these unpleasant electric shocks and it basically reached a point where even when offered a route to escape the electric shocks they wouldn't the basic thing is this what you're basically doing is torturing an animal and this was basically depressed yeah this this Basically, this inability, this complete lack of control over when you are experiencing pain, uh, like basically makes you puts you into a state where you have to accept that this is the only thing you can ever do because, you know, it's inescapable and the only response is to just sit there and not do anything you can't you you, like even when you're offered with a route of escape you can't actually believe that that's a real route of escape so the energy that you need to put out to get out of the situation isn't worth it
0: Yeah, this all kind of reminds me about half the plots to a law
1: and order special victims unit honestly Mm -hmm. and that's the horrible rabbit hole you start going down yes because learned helplessness is being used to yell at people who are in bad situations. They're saying it's something that you just get in abuse situations that you have to unlearn in order to rejoin society. And there was this whole horrible political cartoons about the welfare state creating learned helplessness mm-hmm. in a population. It's like you, you do not understand behaviorism or psychology nope. and you're just shouting random political words. It's
0: being sort of used as an excuse to, you know, you know, uh, provide leverage, uh, to, you know, you know, you know, basically pull the rug out from under, you know, under people, uh, in order, you know, because it's like, oh, this is all your fault because you should've been fighting fast uh, harder or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It just reminded me of this because the the implication that these alien things are just controlling people with pain. It's it's interesting how much of a misunderstanding of behavior this this kind of plotline demonstrates because you would you might be able to exhibit some amount of control that way briefly <laughs> but like no you're not going to get someone to build a spaceship by causing them pain you are going to continually cause them pain and they are going to have a breakdown and they are going to become useless to you because that's what happens when you repeatedly torture someone
0: yep you're not going to turn them into a happy worker bee for your uh, hive situation here. You're going to just basically break them.
1: Torturing people is not a means of executing control. They will just... they will shut down.
0: They will become useless for whatever you, you know, intend to have them do.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not going to work as a means of control in any way. <laughs> the, the way that they have Spock dealing with the pain in this episode... They're turning him into this weirdly misunderstood kind of space monk. I am now in full control of everything about me forever.
0: Mm, I just need to have my mind powers overcome. I shall focus inwardly and perfect myself so that all these external you know, interruptions will be pointless and useless.
1: Mm, it honestly gets into sort of a, the same kind of Ori- Orientalism thing we were talking about with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. where it's just this like you know this mystic almost mystic control of your own mind where you can you know meditate pain away you know pain is only a it's input in my mind and i can control it
0: yeah, oh yeah, pay, yeah, yeah pain is the mind killer i hear right we haven't
1: done Dune yet <laughs>
0: okay oh, i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> thought
1: fear was the mind killer oh yeah <laughs> i always forget <laughs> Just this this idea that you can exhibit this kind of control, I see the attraction, I see why that's what people have gotten out of this kind of implied mysticism. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an interesting way to look at the Vulcans, because the Vulcans have a very kind of implied pseudo-spiritualism to their mental control. Yeah. And so yeah, it's
0: it's it just kind of go you know, runs in the face of the you know, I was like these are super logical folks, but this mental control aspect
1: is sort of like kind of beyond that. But they've definitely taken it's it's pseudo spiritualism, which we're getting a lot more of now with kind of the popularity of of yoga practices and some of the meditation stuff that's taking hold right now. But it's yeah. it's very interestingly mirrored. Because, like, right in in the 60s when they were presenting this stuff with the Vulcans, it was a very much, like, I am in direct forceful control over my mind. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of antithetical to the spiritualist practices that this kind of stuff seems to be aping.
0: But, yeah. You know, where you know, instead of going with the flow you're sort of I'm going to exert full control
1: well it's, it's just this kind of like I am forcibly controlling my mind and body not a you know I'm connecting with my mind and body or experiencing it on some sort of deeper level or these things that the mindfulness meditation is supposedly based on mm-hmm. it's just a, I am exhibiting forceful control over parts of my body that other people cannot control And I think it's very interesting to look at it that way when you're getting into the current trend of meditation and spiritualness that's being very heavily driven by Silicon Valley ideals that is a lot more similar to this. The only difference is you're doing it with a smartphone app.
0: Yes. (laughs) Time to uh, regulate how much I'm going to be doing my uh, daily yoga practice today and I'm going to keep track of how many crunches I do afterwards and now I'm going to go for a run as well. And I'm going to have a real,
1: real regimented system to it. It's it's moving away from introspection and spiritualism, and it's turning into if I do this set of things, it will affect my brain in this way that will make me a more productive person.
0: Very uh, orthopractical.
1: Yeah, it's just it's capitalized spiritualism. Yep. <laughs>
0: So uh, I guess it gets, uh, fits once again with uh, the the Vulcans being merchants. Then I guess that's
1: true. <laughs> Weird how things work out somehow. Sometimes <laughs> we have no idea what the what the actual system of economics is in this world. We've been presented with like one military ship this entire time.
0: You know, we run into a few other ships, but half the time they explode. Um, you know, we run into uh, the the miners with uh, you know uh, mud there uh and they seem very very interested in like selling off all their uh their or their mining on that weird planet um but not a whole lot other than that sort of stuff yeah
1: the only people that we encounter in this are very capitalistic <laughs> or aliens <laughs> if you think about it, i don't know how we're going to do moving forward into seasons two and three of this but if you actually mm-hmm. think about how next generation functions they keep using it as a post-scarcity society that has no need of money and we you know just all work for the betterment of ourselves and the greater cohesiveness of the galaxy they keep saying like mankind but that's a very bad phrase to still be using when they have that many aliens running around
0: i recall in uh deep space nine when uh you know uh you know jake cisco and nog are sort of interacting uh, a bit uh and sort of you Kind of, you know, shining some light on the motivations for both their cultures at the time. Uh, You know, the the are still very super hyper capitalist, while the uh, the humans are in this post uh, scarcity society situation where, like, yeah, we don't do it for profit. We are doing this for sort of, you know, the better development of ourselves and everyone else around us. Uh, And it's 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 very much a a different mentality in stark contrast there, but in the original series here we're not there yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the weird thing too though, if you actually look at next generation and any of the other ones, they're still living in a capitalist society eh, to a degree. The <laughs> entire social structure that they that they show you is still capitalism. You
0: know, a lot of it is, you know, through the lens of a, uh, you know, the Starfleet uh, sort of command structure, but there is still going to be people that are, you know, influential, there are planets that are you know individually you know very capitalist you know even ones like uh, with the federation sort uh and then there's sort of generic colony 54 over there and they'll it's like yeah we just sort of built this stuff here and now we're just gonna live happily forever and they don't really go into details yeah so. and
1: every now and then they start mentioning things like i used up a week's worth of transporter credits yes. or some <laughs> other stand-in for a monetary system
0: you know it's a commodification of uh yeah, ships' resources, I guess.
1: Yeah, but this wasn't for a ship. This was like someone at the <laughs> academy on Earth, where you should have like a. If you were at that, this is probably like a two-stage, two-three society where you should have access to a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, you know, you have antimatter like drives that uh, you know pow- send your spaceships faster than light. You should be able to use your little teleporty beams, which you seem to be able to do easily on a ship like that. Uh, pretty much wherever you like on a planet this large, like Earth.
1: Anyway, I'm not an economist. <laughs> I can't tell exactly what they're doing, but it's just interesting how much, like, you cannot envision a non-capitalist social structure.
0: It it, it takes some work, and, you know, even the, the, the hardest edge thinkers uh, do have a lot of trouble on that sort of a
1: front there. Alright, that has been our our legally mandated socialist commentary <laughs> Don't worry,
0: we'll we'll, we'll we'll figure out how to you know envision the perfect social socialist utopia someday. We're not there yet. <laughs> Want to talk about something else? Sure. How about medical ethics? Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I sort of poked at it uh during the synopsis a bit, but uh I think it might be important to sort of draw attention to the fact that McCoy really should have put his foot down and say, "Hell no! Give us five minutes to do any sort of science on what happened, so we don't just like destroy your friend here." Come on, come on,
1: Kurt. Doctor is very spineless. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, 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 so maybe we should like touch on like what are medical ethics and such like that. Star Trek often talks about uh, the Hippocratic Oath, which is basically do no harm, but there's actually a lot more to it than that. You got things about autonomy and doing, you know, avoiding, you know, harm, of course, but also providing benefit. But also, you know, if you have limited resources, you know, like only so many doctors, you have to do things like, you know, you know, think about, okay, what, you know, who's going to get the treatment here? Like triage, but also, you know, other factors that can come in. Like, oh, this planet here, you know, we're in orbit of is infected, you know, everybody's infected with this crazy stuff here. So, do we, you know, if we figure out some means to you know do them all at once, it's dangerous to everybody. Or do we want to do it like a one at a time thing and like move everyone off planet while they get you know sort of fixed up, and then maybe you know you know bathe the planet and then the uh, the crazy light show while we uh, figure out some means to uh, save everybody else. You know, there's all, so all sorts of things that can kind of be uh, pulling in here. But I think you know one of the important things to need you, know, you need to remember is that. When you're sort of weighing all these things, you as the doctor need to be doing uh, all of this with maximum information so you can actually make an informed decision as well as your patient. Yeah. So <laughs> if you, the doctor, don't know what's up, then obviously your
1: patient is unlikely to as well. Well, what they basically are doing here is developing a brand new treatment, mm-hmm. which we have incredibly stringent regulations on right now (laughs) like the medic even (laughs) even outside of laws like the whole medical community has these very very stringent regulations and rules about how you are allowed to move forward in what order for what kind of testing for how long there is a Uh, reason that new treatments take years and years and years to reach like use it's like
0: you know this is like it would be on just like like oh we don't know what this new medication might do but also like procedures and you know medical, you know, you know, you know, surgery techniques and all that fun stuff. You know, you want to be making sure that you are fully understanding the risks and the you know dangers before you do something that might only maybe
1: save somebody's life. They really did not give us any reason in this episode why they have to rush. Yes. They didn't give us a like. We have you know three minutes until whatever happens, so we can't wait the extra five for testing.
0: Because they say that the uh, the uh, the weird brain cell things are trying to get them to build a spaceship, but we don't know if that's like about to be launched or if it's going to be decades down the line or what. Just sort of, this is a thing that might happen and that might infect other planets, so we must do things right now.
1: So there's there's like a there's a very good reason that in military organizations like the one we are presented with here, the doctor gets to overrule the command officers on medical matters. Yes.
0: Like, Mr. Uh, Officer Person, you don't actually know what the hell you're talking about, and I am empowered to in order to basically ignore your your orders on this front. So, you know, shove off, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: so there's, there was no reason for them to move forward with these tests. Yes, so narratively, like looking at the what they are trying to present to us with the way of going forward with this, it's like we have to do this super risky thing that incapacitates one of our crew members. So this, like the implied ableism that you hit with this thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And not only just your, your crew member, but if it works, then it's also going to do the same thing to millions of people on the planet below.
1: Yeah, which they didn't actually address. I, I was really curious... How they were going to like go into like, well, is it worth blinding every single person on the planet? But they just immediately discount that for no like, well, reason. Yeah,
0: uh, you well know, uh, I guess, you know, uh just taking away everyone's eyesight is a small price to
1: pay because they're going to be controlled and possibly die. Yeah, but I they guess. don't even have hmm. to have the discussion. Because as as soon as, the second it is revealed that this blinded him, they come in with the new information.
0: Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of a, uh, well, this whole line of thinking that these uh, characters were sort of following it doesn't actually make any
1: sense. Yeah, I just don't understand this. This really got to me, because like, the rest of the episode doesn't seem to have a ton of points. Mm-hmm. There's like random danger thingy. We spend about 40 minutes figuring out how to get rid of random danger thingy. We got rid of random danger thingy. Yeah. They never have an ethical discussion. They never have the kind of, you know, utilitarianism versus whatever ethical discussion. Well, they try to, but they don't really it doesn't really work out very well. They don't try to have a discussion. <laughs> they just shut it down. Yeah, it's like, well, here's our
0: points. And, okay, neither of them actually apply, says Kirk, so let's go for a third option. And then it's like, okay, we have a different dilemma we're going to tackle. And then we kind of just don't because we're just going to rush into action.
1: Yeah, and it's never it's never called into question that there may not be a third option. Mm-hmm. He just always says, like, get me a third option. And then they do.
0: Yeah, I guess a third option would be just leave them on the planet and go away. The
1: way to handle an ethical dilemma is to yell at people <laughs> until they make it go away.
0: So uh, I I did a a Twitter thread earlier uh, today sort of reflecting on the competency letter, uh, you know, know, things about everybody of of the main uh, cast members. And uh, because Kirk is sort of more stumbles through success and gets lucky with, you know, either, you know, happenstance or his crew members being like on the ball occasionally, uh, a.k.a. Scotty, Uh, you know, he he he's he's not really the most competent person on the crew by far, honestly, <laughs> because exactly the things like this. He just sort of yells at people until they give him the answers he wants, and that apparently
1: just sort of works out for him because again, he gets lucky. And there's no, I don't know. This just there there was literally, quite literally, no point to blinding Spock. Yep, at all. It lasts for about. 15 minutes of the episode. He's only on camera for like (laughs) two of those minutes.
0: And uh, I guess it's sort of maybe a quote character building moment for McCoy because he feels guilty about something he did to
1: Spock, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I guess that would be the only thing. But that could have caused him an intense amount of pain or something. Also, the implication that like now Spock's life is over. They haven't invented Braille on this ship.
0: Yeah, which is you know kind of hilarious in retrospect. You know, given that, you know, you know, I've been pretty much you know any time I've been on a college campus, every single sign out there has Braille on it. You know, a number of businesses I've been to also have have uh, you know you know you know like bigger offices situations like yeah because we're gonna have, you know we're gonna large enough organization we're going to have blind people. We're going to have this sort of you know uh, you know extra help to help them figure out where they should be going and such like that uh, you know doctors' offices same thing it's sort of kind of you know slowly becoming ubiquitous in our modern uh, age but apparently that's just not a thing in the future.
1: There's it's no no wonder with the way they treat people who have who have physical limitations on this show it is no wonder that that Jordy became a central character in Next Generation.
0: Yeah, like here's someone who is you know you know overcome his you know handicap, and it's you know not you know not only you know you know not a problem for him at this point you know you know as as far as his base level situation goes, but actually can give him some advantages.
1: Yeah, we'll get into Jordy later because that's a that's always bugged me, but but this just this idea like Spock is blind, he may as well be dead. Oh
0: no! So I guess coming back to the argument they were trying to have but didn't uh about, you know, is it better to kill all these people or blind them? I guess the it kind of implies it's a moot point.
1: <laughs> yeah. In this society, apparently, any sort of disability is basically the same thing as having died. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I, I guess then the, the correct answer is then just to kill everyone and just leave the planet forever.
1: <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, they already are suffering <laughs> from madness. So we're doing them a kindness question mark though they never they never ever explain he says like i will have to kill everyone on the planet to keep these things from spreading you've already demonstrated that throwing these things into the sun would not kill them so how do you think you're going to get rid of them in the first place
0: i guess just sort of isolate the planet and hope they starve to death
1: yeah eh? i guess yeah blockaded or something but It's very heavily implied that they picked these things up from an ancient ruin. And then kind of transported them
0: from one planet to
1: another planet for a
0: little while until they got to this one. And then they, I don't know, multiplied like crazy because billions of people are now infected?
1: Yeah, I guess. Hmm. It still gets me. I still can't get my head out of the Lovecraftian thing with this. It's just, it lines up too well to not be racist. Yeah. It's this overriding, like, galactic-level intelligence... That is controlling people from visitors who are like puppet mastering the population. It's just it's it's the fish people. And uh,
0: it is you know it is a plot line that shows up also be- well beyond Star Trek and Lovecraft there, and uh, we'll probably be running into it often enough in the future. Yeah, I mean, no what we're looking at
1: it's vampires. It's uh, to a certain extent, you're more classical zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this whole. Fear of the other thing that's happening with these episodes. So like you know, there's there's someone who looks like they're part of your community, but what if they're not?
0: Ooh, so they're secret, uh, you, know, you know, pirate assassins, and they're gonna gonna get you in the night.
1: Yeah, I can see why everyone in this century was paranoid. So, should we go on to something happier? Sure. You got something happier? No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that was all I had, though. We could move on to awards. Okay, probably a good idea. <laughs> yes, save us from all of this, because it's time for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo!
0: Well, everybody, we got some uh, wonderful awards going here for a... Well, perhaps not so wonderful reasons. The points have been tallied. Everyone's got their scores lined up. And we got uh, ourselves, uh, it looks like, three winners today. And Gipwin, are you excited? Oh, I'm so
1: excited. I have a feeling we might be court-martialing some people.
0: Oh, oh dear, uh, you might be right, just kicking it all right, off right off the bat, because uh, the first award is the Medical Malpractice Award, which goes to McCoy for not wanting the initial, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, not wanting things, but not well, not, you know, not wanting to blind Spock, but not wanting to not blind Spock hard enough to avoid
1: blinding Spock. What does he win, Capwood? <laughs> McCoy wins a Medical Board Investigation. Sometimes the ends justify the means but never in medicine.
0: Yeah, I think he is uh, it's a well-deserved award here. Sorry McCoy, you felt bad about the situation but maybe you should have actually I don't know done something about it. Our second award is the Puppet Masters award, which we're not talking about the one that's set in Iowa but we are involving people that did inv- come from Iowa apparently. Um so and, and uh, this one goes to our unknown alien mendis single-celled life form Brain thing um, of the week uh, for taking control of people's bodies. What does it win, Gepner?
1: The alien menace wins. I was going to use a Pinocchio reference for no strings, but they were very definitely flying around on strings. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, and uh, it was kind of hilarious overall. In fact, I thought that was maybe the most, I guess, charming part of the episode. Who? <laughs> Our third award is the Mind Over Mind Award, which goes for Spock for blocking out his pain receptors entirely. I guess to avoid
1: ailing control, because that's something he can do now. What does he win, Gepwin? Spock wins meditating for five hundred years in a cave. Because that's just has to be the logical end point of this. Well, I think he's
0: going to have a lot of time on his hands here to consider this award, and is a, uh, uh, you know, he's going to perhaps come out of it even more able to block out random things with his mind, perhaps. Maybe even being able to block out McCoy and his uh, you know, a loathsome attitude towards Spock, except for uh, parts of this
1: episode. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? So congrats to all the winners. Woo-hoo! Yes, thank you all. Congratulations to our contestants who get to go home and be arrested. And thank you all for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo, yay! laughs> Well, that's it for season one. We are moving on to another movie next week before we go into season two. And uh, even though we were taking turns this week, I didn't pick the movie. And I didn't pick the movie. No, because you see, we're going to have a guest on. That's next week. We are having a special guest star, the Omega Geek. Yes,
0: she's already picked out her movie. Uh, we'll be uh, watching this bef- uh, b- movie before our next recording, and it should be uh, enjoyable, I think, because it's also a movie I've seen a number of times. It, it is. You get, me it?
1: too. Um, it's, it's never one I would have thought of, which I thought was really interesting, because yeah. like, I was just saying, like, y- you could sit me down for like an hour and have me l- list off science fiction movies I've seen, and for mm-hmm. some reason this would not have occurred to me.
0: Yeah, but it is very much a science fiction movie, and I'd say it's maybe well that kind of well is going to be fantastic for the show. So
1: yes, so next week we are going to be watching the old sci-fi children's classic, E.T. Yes, the extraterrestrial. It's just it's amazing to me. It's obviously science fiction. Yeah, that <laughs> you just wouldn't as think aliens,
0: of it. as spaceships, as you know, weird stuff going on. It's
1: science fiction. <laughs> But just, yeah, you could sit me down all day and I would not have gone like, oh, yeah, that's a science fiction movie I've seen. Yeah,
0: just always, I guess our brains go, he's tossed it in the uh, you know children's movie sort of thing. Yeah, it's in the instead, children's
1: so. movie thing. It's just so in the nostalgia bin. Yeah. It's just like but, uh, one of those nostalgia movies you just kind of discount.
0: Yeah, you know, and uh, it's like, oh, it's on TV. Let's watch it. And, you know, and then, but then you don't really think about it later.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've actually seen it since I was I maybe a teenager i don't think i've
0: seen the whole thing since probably that age i have seen parts of it uh just you know channel surfing and things like that time and time
1: yeah this is this is going to be interesting the only question in my mind is whether i'm going to be able to find the version without the walkie talkies
0: (laughs) oh yeah the walkie talkies instead of guns yes (laughs) yes that will be a bit of a bit of a bit of a question isn't it (laughs)
1: Yes. Next week, we're going to be joined by the Omega Geek, who you should check out on YouTube because she does some very interesting videos about pop culture and psychology.
0: Yes, fantastic stuff. Highly
1: recommend. And you can join us next week when we all go over the classic 80s, apparently sci-fi children's movie, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow...
0: We help the Omega Geek phone home! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience, or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin, and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Izix, and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.